Hmm. Are you sure about that? Is that what you think? Is that so? Hi, I'm Sokka, the host of Sokka's Is That So, a show where we challenge conventional wisdom across a range of industries, hoping to get you to ask better questions and not take things at face value. I'm originally from Botswana and Nigeria. However, I've had the chance to travel through Europe, North America, and Latin America to have many of my assumptions challenged and combat my biases. The goal of the show is to help you learn along with me as we challenge more conventional norms. We're recording the show during the coronavirus, so hopefully you should have more than enough time to listen to these. Let's get started. On today's episode, we'll be discussing education on entrepreneurship. Are kids capable of learning complicated subjects? Does genetics or the environment have an effect on whether someone becomes an entrepreneur? Let's get started. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's the question I asked my younger sibling the other day. A veterinarian, she said, taking after a lineage of veterinarians that spans three generations. Come to think of it, the one answer I had never really heard from any kid really was when I grow up, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I couldn't help but think, why is that? To understand why we don't teach kids about entrepreneurship, I wanted to get to the roots of how we learn in the first place. There are two primary general categories on the way people actually take in information and learn. The first is stimulus response theory, which suggests that when you provide stimulus to a person, that they will react in a certain way. By rewarding or punishing these responses, you can train the person to react in a particular way when faced with a set of stimulus. Kind of like when your African parents would voluntarily offer you the most effective stimulus of all growing up, aka the wooden spoon. Eh, if you don't do this homework, I will give you some stimulus to encourage you. That was code for get it done or receive a hiding for those kids who thought that standing in the corner was a punishment. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Matthew. When it comes to entrepreneurship, However, our schools and parents were very focused on rigidity and not making mistakes. After all, more mistakes on exams or chores were met with negative stimulus, which was not or does not lend itself to entrepreneurship, while failure and experimentation must be encouraged. The second way that people learn is generally from direct learning, as part of a community and through practice. In this case, how many entrepreneurs do you know or do you know of that were in your immediate circle growing up? No wonder we hardly hear kids say they want to be entrepreneurs. As many ethnic parents would say, you're either a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or a disappointment. It's funny how even the teachers who would often chastise kids for wanting to be YouTube stars have now been forced to become video conferencing experts after COVID-19. Don't waste your time with this silly little camera. Now, how do I log off this thing? We had a chat with Julian earlier, who's an expert in teaching kids entrepreneurship. Let's hear what he had to say. So just looking at my own story and thinking about when I was a little boy, the area that I was uh, born in and all of the statistics which determined what my life chances could have been, you would have looked at me and said, he isn't born an entrepreneur, but I became one. And so I think that entrepreneurs can be made. And in the work that we do in the last kind of five years, teaching entrepreneurship to kids, we've seen kids who don't look like they are the ones who would be at the front of the class, who would be the leaders, who'd be the captains of their football teams or whatever it might be. 
uh, setting up businesses and doing what they love. So for me, I think that when you look at the term entrepreneurship and you unpack it, because entrepreneurship is this kind of mystical word, right? What does it mean? But when you unpack it and you look at things like innovation, creativity, resilience, leadership, bounce back ability, things like that, you can teach those things because educators have been teaching them for years in other disciplines. So for me, I think that entrepreneurs can be made. But surely you must see instances of people that you teach and or you try and imbibe these sort of entrepreneurial skill sets and it just doesn't take. And I'm sure there must be times when you can see the elements of entrepreneurship in someone, like you mentioned, bounceability, um, you know, that tenacity, the ability to think outside the box. And those kids are, you know, much more willing to take on this learning and actually become successful. And other kids, it doesn't matter how hard or, you know, how much you teach them, they just never, never get it. You know what I mean? And it just never sticks with them. Surely you must see those kinds of instances, no? We do, but then we need to really qualify what we mean by a, an entrepreneur or a successful entrepreneur, because lots of colleagues of mine who were successful entrepreneurs are not that alpha male who can go on stage and dazzle the audience and is got this energy behind them. They're just hardworking, smart business people that have a passion for something or found a skill that they that that really gets them going and they've become successful. So it, you know, it, it's interesting when, uh, so most people that have this conversation around uh, whether or not entrepreneurs are born or, or made, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's just this thing within me, or you can see it in that person. The question I always ask is, when did that happen? So that that thing, that, that X factor, that trait that you see in this entrepreneur, none of us actually know when that influence happened, because we we say they were born with it, but you weren't there when they were born. So how do you know? No one's done any, any genetic tests. No one's done any, run any DNA scans to, to unlock. Okay, well, this is the entrepreneurial gene. So we know if we cross-reference that with all of these successful people that we now know that they were born, right? Uh, there's a an entrepreneur who's uh, got an, an app called uh, Devi Coach. And I, I was in an incubator with her just last year with Bethnal Green Ventures, shout out to them. And she said that within the first 18 months of a child's development, they can become disadvantaged in regards to their uh, ability to learn, ability to progress at that young an age. And most people would think, oh, well, you know, maybe it's when they're in primary school or secondary school or whatever it might be. But no, it's actually much earlier than that. And so there are sociological, physiological, psychological, environmental factors that can impact the development of a child, right? So all of those things are super random. Now, a child could be in a, a deprived area, but they can have a really hardworking parent and that child will pick up on all of that. They could be in a really affluent area, but have parents who are, you know, maybe sitting on wealth and they're not really that active. So they pick up on that trait too. So I think that, you know, you need to kind of look at the very early influences that people have because those things can make up what we see as the entrepreneurial trait. Now, the other thing is interesting is that uh, there are different types of entrepreneurs. So I would say that there's the entrepreneur that can come up with the great idea, right? And, you know, is the visionary and all the rest of it. But typically that entrepreneur isn't necessarily the one that can scale the business, right? Which is why you see, you see founders and higher CEOs. So I think that, you know, once we qualify what type of entrepreneur we're talking about, it'll give us a better insight into why we think 
they are born or made. You know, there's a few things that you, you mentioned there that are pretty interesting. One of which was, you know, coming from a deprived versus a wealthy background. You know, that's very interesting for me because I myself, when I was a kid, you know, I didn't grow up that wealthy. And one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was because of necessity, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's having that environment whereby I needed to m- get pocket money to buy something that I wanted because my parents never gave it to me, right? Or I wanted that new sneaker that just came out and, uh, you know, that was important for me and that's something I wanted to, to, to get. So the the environment that I grew up in kind of shaped, you know, the kind of person I became and the 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 kind of ethos that I had. But I still think I had a natural drive in order to, you know, want to even do that because there were other kids in the same situation as me that were in situations where they were just as deprived or, you know, they also wanted the nice things, but they just never had that that inclination to go after it. You know what I mean? Um, and then I also think of people that are in wealthy, you know, scenarios or situations. And I think about the fact that they can afford to take risks because they come from a wealthy background. And we know a big part of being an entrepreneur is having the freedom to take on risk, right? If I'm working nine to five or if I have a tough situation, I have obligations that don't give me that freedom to either be creative or to actually take on that risk. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, that background that you mentioned, whether it's between zero to 18 months or even, you know, as early as before 10 years old, but, you know, the sort of formative years as you're you're growing up. Do you think that there is a certain um, characteristic or a certain uh, ethos to being from a deprived versus a wealthy background? Is there an advantage to being from a deprived uh, or coming from a deprived background versus a wealthy one? The advantages and disadvantages come at different stages of life. So <clears throat> there was a medium post that I read a couple of years ago, and it was of uh, an entrepreneur who said that his privilege gave him an advantage as an entrepreneur because when he wanted to start up his own company, he could go to his wife's aunt who had some money mm-hmm. and they had some money because they uh, were able to buy property at a time when other people in the country couldn't buy property because of things like redlining and so on. So then he said that after they had set up and they wanted to scale some more, that he could then go to his cousin who similarly had uh, a, you know, a, a privileged background because of the last few decades of, uh, you know, kind of social and political uh, kind of uh, narrative that enable them to do things that other eth- other ethnicities in the states couldn't do, right? So in that regard, he um, he saw himself as privileged because of uh, his heritage, right? Okay, cool. But then you look at people like I don't know if you look at someone like Jay Z, for example, who clearly didn't come from a, a wealthy background, but that. Uh, environment fueled his success. I mean, you know, there are loads of examples of that, both, you know, all around the world. We see people who have a drive to want to change their lives and change their environments. And entrepreneurship is a great way of doing that. Uh, so I think that it swings around. It's not it's not really a, a clear cut um, uh, perspective on, 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 the, on this issue. But something you said earlier, which was you believe that you had a natural inclination. How do you know it was natural? And how do you know it wasn't influenced or taught in some way, knowingly or unknowingly, by something you'd watched, read, a teacher, a mentor, someone in your family? Because most of us can't remember prior to, I don't know, when we were three, four, five years old, right? That's a long time for you to be influenced. And, you know, you might be able to remember far further back than that, but most of us probably can't remember when we were influenced to be confident, not confident, 
conscious, not conscious. You know, it's a little bit difficult to work that out, which is why I say that, and you know, it's not even just uh, my own personal view, but educational psychologists, again, will talk about how early years and the development and the impact that that has in just in the first few years is super important. Um, you know, my wife works with um, early years uh, um, kids, you know, in a, uh, a in a Montessori setting. And those kids are on a uh, perfect trajectory to prep school and then private school. But just those kids, not the kids who were in the state um, version of that nursery, because there is a deliberate way and a deliberate approach in terms of behavior, in terms of curriculum, in terms of environment that gives those kids the advantage, uh, not just academically, but socially and the brand of where they come from to take them onto a prep school, which then gives them the bump to take them onto a private school, which then gives them the bump to be more likely to become captains of industry and so on and so forth. You know, that's a very good point. Uh, one thing that you mentioned there, or at least something that resonates out of what you're saying is you know, there's an element of privilege and sort of trajectory, right? One thing leads to the other, which leads to the other. And it's kind of hard to know the nature versus nurture part of things. It's hard to dissect those two. Um, there's a guy called Scott Shane, I believe, that tried to study if genetics actually have a role to play in how successful you will be, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, DNA and all that, those types of things. And he strongly believes that there's a correlation between your DNA and how much money you're going to make and how successful you'll be. Uh, the exact you know, outgoings of that study, I don't exactly have with me, but it's just interesting that that nature versus nurture topic is hard to really dissect. Um, in terms of entitlement, right? I mean, you, you work with a lot of youth entrepreneurs and there's this myth, or I don't know if it's a myth, but conventional wisdom that young people are sort of entitled, I'm going to be successful, or they expect to see success tomorrow or the day after, right? I don't know if it's because of the Instagram or sort of social media, you know, where everyone thinks, oh, that guy was successful after, you know, working for a week or two weeks, and they don't really know that it takes years in order to be a successful entrepreneur. So that that, that sense of entitlement, do you see that with a lot of uh, young people that are trying to become entrepreneurs and that sort of impatience to get to, to, to the end goal of that destination? Yeah. And I think that the media has a huge part to play in it. So the media wants to promote what looks like overnight success because it's, you know, it gets clicks, it gets views, it gets people interested, right? Nobody wants to hear the story of somebody who worked for 10, 15, 20 years to be successful, right? Everyone kind of knows that. We want to hear about the guy or girl who did it in a few weeks or a few months because that's what we want to aspire to. And so there's this kind of shortcut culture that has been prevailing for some time now. And it's, you know, come about through TV, through social media, um, and through kind of newspapers and radio. And so the next generation, they adopt that because obviously, you know, if there is a shortcut, then naturally humans want to take that shortcut. But that shortcut, everyone knows isn't real. It's like, you know, people joke that, you know, who have, who have been dubbed overnight successes, they were like, well, yeah, it was a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> right. And, and actually there was, there was some, there was a lot of groundwork done, you know, decades of groundwork for me to be able to, even if it was, even if it was overnight, then there was a whole bunch of scenarios that just came together, click, click, click to actually make that possible. And it, it wasn't just because, you know, the stars had aligned or I, someone sprinkled magic dust over me. Right. And for every one of those who ultimately, you know, is luck, there are tens of thousands who that isn't the mechanism for, that's not the blueprint for. And just like anything else, 
if you want to be successful in any discipline, in any industry, you've just got to work for it. But kids kind of don't want to hear that, right? And and social media isn't helping because there are these, all of these get rich quick uh, entrepreneurs who are out there, you know, kind of putting up the cars and, and, and the houses and all the rest of it. And, and people are buying into it, not just kids, adults are buying into it. So, you know, we do our best to try and unpick that and say, well, actually in reality, it's, it is hard work, but the caveat is the hard work is okay if you're doing something that you love. You know, that's a very good point. When I think of social media, there are pros and there are cons. So for instance, everyone looks at it and thinks, yeah, overnight I'll be a success and they don't see the hard work that goes into it. But I do think there's an element of you get exposure to a lot more uh, role models or successful people that are out there and you can learn, you know, tips and tricks that they've used along the way to become successful. Um, you know, I myself, I'm on Instagram, you know, more frequently than I probably should be. But, you know, I, I see a lot more representation out there of people's success and, you know, sort of their their ethos and how they got to that point. So if I look at Gary Vee, for instance, who's, you know, world famous for, you know, showing how he got to his entrepreneurial endeavors and how he made them successful and things like that. So I think there is a positive spin on social media in, in terms of encouraging the youth to look at role models and see what's what has been done out there. But I do agree that, you know, sometimes that overnight success and that instant fame kind of thing, it's it's really pervasive. And I myself have fallen fallen short of that, you know, aspiration to to want to, you know, be successful within two or three days. Or if it doesn't happen in six months, I'm, you know, almost frustrated. I'm like, man, that guy was able to make it. How come I'm not? Am I doing something wrong? Um, but you did allude to a point that's that's very relevant, which is in terms of luck, right? Um, you you can work as hard as you want, but there is always an element of luck. And all successful people will tell you there was an element of being in the right place at the right time, um, and, and that led to a big part of their success. So let's talk a little bit about that that point, that, that luck element of it. The harder you work, the luckier you will get. At least that's what most people think. Do you think that's a fair representation of what it means to be a successful entrepreneur? And is that the overall narrative? Or would you say that the harder you work nowadays is quite disjointed from how lucky you'll be. So luck is opportunity meets preparedness. So even though entrepreneurs will use the term luck, if they really unpack those scenarios, they'll realize that if they were lucky to meet the partner or the stakeholder or the investor and that worked, it's probably because their pitch was on point. It's probably because they had spent a long time honing that idea so that it could be delivered in the right way. Uh, they probably had a work ethic that put them in that place in the, in, you know, in the first instance. So I think that uh, luck, isn't, luck isn't so much this kind of traditional idea of luck. It's more about a random event happening that you have been prepared to take advantage of. Mm. It's not luck in the, in the Disney sense of luck. Right. So I think no matter what happens, you you do have to be prepared. You always have to be prepared. And the other thing about it is that uh, there are always opportunities. So Richard Branson said, you know, business ideas are like a, 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 are like buses. You know, you miss one, one's another one's about to come along the way. Right. So it's because because this luck thing suggests that if I'm not lucky or if I don't uh, if I'm not able to uh, take advantage of luck the first time, then I'm done for, which is not true. Uh, you know, I, in regards to social media, when I, I was giving a talk at a conference um, just last week, at a, uh, delivering a keynote, and I said that if you look at my social media, it is the highlight reel, yeah? And for every award or great thing that happens, there are 
There are 10 mishaps. There are 10 really bad days. There are 10 disappointments. There are 10 no's, maybe more. But the reason why it looks like a lot's happening for me is because I can, I can, uh, I can run through those no's and they don't disrupt or slow me down because the no's don't matter. The no's aren't important. The no's, all the no's do for me is inform what I need to do the next time because I'm really about that life. The, the, the thing that I want to do, I really want to do it. So it's a little bit like, you know, if you're riding a bike, you're learning any kind of sport, you're not going to get it right the first time. But if you're really into that sport, you're going to keep going until you become more, more proficient. And so for me, um, with the, but, but then the danger with social media is that uh, people might look at my social media and think I make it look easy you know, individuals like Gary Vee, maybe even yourself, make it look easy. And that's actually the wrong message because when people are coming up, young entrepreneurs are looking at that thinking, wow, Saka's doing it, man. He's making, this must be a breeze. If I just do what Saka does, then I'm good. But you know that there's a whole lot of stuff that you've had to do to make that highlight real possible. And so I think that, you know, a, a good friend of mine said that, you know, there's a difference between um, giving advice and sharing experiences because uh, you can't, I don't think that you should take or give advice. I think you should share an experience because advice is based on a very small window of your story. And there's been a whole bunch of things that have led up to you having that, ex you having that experience and you now think, okay, so I've done this so I can advise someone to do that. But that person has got a whole other backdrop a whole nother set of, uh, you know, numbers that make up what, you know, what turns them into that person, right? And so I always say to uh, people that I mentor that you should have more than one person that you seek advice from, quote unquote. But actually what you should be doing is just gathering their experiences. And then the art, the thing that you need to learn is how can you apply those experiences to your reality? Because some of it will be uh, appropriate and relevant and some of it won't. You know, those are excellent points. So one thing that you, you mentioned that was really important for me, I used to work in a sales job, right? And at that time, I thought it was the worst job I could ever do. Man, I'm out there with, you know, a, a, a toolbox, knocking on people's doors, trying to sell tools, and I'm just getting rejected. I mean, doors are getting slammed in my face, and that's, you know, really hard for you to take. But after a certain while, you learn that these no's are leading up to a yes at some point, right? You sort of fall in love with the game, right? Which is, I'm going to keep going after this, almost a sort of competitive mentality that, you know, eventually I'll get there. And these no's are just, uh, you know, water off my back, you know, eventually I'll get to that, to that point. And through that, you, you get experienced. And at least to your other point, which is the experience and also giving advice are two different things, right? I should share experiences versus just giving advice because there's something about going through that nitty gritty that builds a character, builds a resilience. And some Someone builds an optimism as well, uh, because when you do get that first win, it makes it all the more sweeter. You know what I mean? Um, and that's something I'm not sure that a lot of youth are actually going through. You know, when I don't know if they're going through that tough experience and experiencing those no's, you know, consistently. We mentioned, alluded to social media before, but how do you get someone to have the opportunity to even go through those no's and keep going and, you know, give them that 
optimism that, hey, eventually you will get a yes, but you have to be persistent. You have to, you know, be dedicated to this. That's something that I think is missing with a lot of youth. They'll be like, after two or three tries, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I didn't work out. It wasn't supposed to be or whatever it is. But to give them that tenacity, how do you imbibe that into, into the youth, especially youth that are interested in entrepreneurship and being successful? So the way that we do it is actually flipping it around the other way. So, uh, Educators and adults often think we need to pour knowledge into young people. But actually, uh, the word education means to draw out. So what we do is we define an entrepreneur to a seven-year-old as someone who does what they love and they make money from it. So if you're doing something you really love doing, you will naturally want to do it well. You will naturally improve it. And by doing so, you create enough value for somebody to want to exchange their hard-earned cash for, right? Cool. So taking that approach, all we then do is show them the steps to get to the thing that they love doing on a wider scale. Because everything that kids are into, whether it's cakes and cookies, reading, sports, YouTube, fashion, no matter what it is, there's a business model behind it, right? Yeah. There's a business and a commercial model behind it. And all we do is expose that commercial model. So, but we always say that unless you are truly in love with that thing, it will not be successful because in your learning, you will see disappointments, things will go wrong, there will be lots of no's, and the only thing that will make those things okay is if you're really passionate about the thing that you're doing. So what most young people are doing, not taking that approach, is they're just going for the money. So I always say, if you keep, if you chase the money, the money will, will keep running, right? You're supposed to create value. Nobody makes money. I always say, um, you know, the, even the term making money, unless you're the Bank of England, you don't actually make money. Money's a value exchange. You need to create sufficient value to be able to receive money. So let's focus on the value, right? Now, you can only focus on the value if you're not an imposter in that space. You can only create some... You can only create something of value if you are really passionate about it and if you really love it. So we take it from that angle. And what most, what's happening in, in society at the moment is that young people are told about, uh, about the wage, the hourly rate, you know, that, that, that cash. That's what they're told about. So they're, so they're told, okay, go and get that money. And these are the options that you need that you can go through to go and get it. So young people say, oh, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm a data scientist or I'm an entrepreneur or I'm in banking, whatever it might be, those make good money. So let me go and do that without thinking, do I actually have any place being in data science? Do I have any place being an entrepreneur? Do I even like it? Do I even like it? What, what the heck am I doing in, in investment banking, right? Now you can fake that for some time, but what happens, and this is the story that isn't being told at the at the at the other end of success. So you look at those who are in their 50s, 60s looking at retirement, they've now made it in corporate life, right? Lots of them hate their existence because they've stayed in a good job for decades and they've lost their sense of self, lost their lost, lost their identity, don't know who they are, sitting lots of money, but that's now not important, right? And so I'm looking at that thinking, we don't want young people to get there. So we need to change the narrative of what we define success to be. No, that's an excellent way to go about it. It's almost like reverse engineering it, right? Looking at it from the sort of end of life point of view and working backwards to ensure that these kids uh, actually have something to aspire to that they're passionate about and will let them go to sleep at night when they're much older, even though they might not realize it, but thinking, man, I had a good life and I really went for something that I really enjoy. There's something that you mentioned there, which, which kind of struck me, which was about 
educating someone that has the passion to do something on the steps to get there, right? You mentioned a business model of some sort, right? Giving them the, the toolkit that they need to get there. But oftentimes, someone needs to be ready to receive that information. You know, I don't know if you've experienced this in your career, but so you're only... You can only learn up to your level of experience or what you're willing to be able to learn at that particular moment in your life, right? You almost have to be ready for that knowledge to be to, to be received. Um, working with, you know, kids or youth or whatever it is, have you encountered struggles in order to get these kids to learn some of these things because they're not necessarily ready to receive that level of knowledge? I mean, I can imagine teaching an 11-year-old about a business model, right? I mean, I learned that when I was in my 20s. If I'm teaching a kid about, you know, net present value or, you know, revenue versus cost of goods sold and things like that, they might not necessarily be ready to learn that kind of stuff, right? There's a certain level of maturity or I don't know if it's cognitive ability and things like that. How do you get someone to learn something that they need at a particular point in time, whether it's at 18, 11 years old, whatever it is, when they're not necessarily ready for it? You know what I mean? Do you have to stagger that and maybe guide them in another direction and, and give them guidance in, in terms of things that they are ready for at that particular moment? Or do you sort of wait it out and then, I don't know, how do you actually go about doing that, if that makes sense? So first of all, I... Uh most of the uh, people who look at what kids are capable of do not give them enough credit. So kids are capable of a lot more than we think. And if you think about cognitive ability, right? By the time a kid is seven, they can learn five languages. They can become proficient at a sport. They can, you know, their memory, they, they soak things up as like a sponge. That's what we say, right? But then we question whether or not they can learn something as simple as profit and loss. The only reason we question those things is because they're not traditional. You know, teaching entrepreneurship to kids is not traditional, right? But if you said, oh, you know, there's a kid who's seven years old and is grade six in piano, whatever it might be, people think, oh, okay. You know, it's not a new thing. It's not, or, you know, there's a kid who's just, is, who's, who's the next, you know, great footballer and they're only eight. Nobody would really bat an eyelid. But when you used, when you talk about things like entrepreneurship, People think, well, you know, is that even possible? Can you even do that? And all that happens, and it's just it's just a simple educational approach. You make the learning relevant. You make so you don't talk about a business model. You don't talk about um, you know net profit and gross margins. You don't use those terms. You use terms that they are already familiar with. But you are right that the there is a time that uh, kids, young people, are ready to receive learning. So what we do is we create what, what I describe as an, an enabling environment for success. So it's a bit like, you know, it's a cheesy analogy, but you plant a seed and you water it, you give it sun, you give it food, and then it grows. You, you tend to it. Uh, you don't pull it out from the roots. It's not going to grow any faster. So it's the same thing with learning for, for kids and young people. Uh, it's not a um, it's not a transactional effort. So it's not just knowledge transfer one way and learning by rote, just repeating stuff and trying to get them to cognitively onboard it. Because we know that unless you onboard something emotionally, it's not going to change. So there's a mixed bag of how you teach something to a young person um, that isn't just about words and a knowledge transfer, right? So I'm saying that to say that we create fun, engaging, warm environments, which will help learning, right? And we have no expectation. We're not, because we're not 
forced into an academic framework which says that we have this this amount of learning that this child needs to onboard in this time period because we haven't got that restriction. So if it takes a child two weeks, two months, two years, it's absolutely okay. We are here in this enabling environment. We've got this ecosystem where if you dip in and out of it, if you're if you take um longer than someone else, it's totally fine. It doesn't matter when you're ready to take that that learning on board. But the important thing is that when you are ready, that there is an environment there for you to benefit from. You know, there's two things you said there that stand out to me quite a bit. Number one was the psychological conditioning of society as a whole to think that, yes, yeah, six-year-old can't be a CEO or something like that, right? Or be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, that's something that we have to change as a society, right? To think that, yeah, young people can learn five or six languages. They're capable of learning so much more. Perhaps we don't give them enough credit for that. I mean, uh, it's probably going to you know, change my ethos a little bit when I have kids and just giving them a bit more of the benefit of the doubt, which I think society doesn't do as much. And the second thing that comes out there is, you know, formal education is pretty structured, right? As you mentioned, if you give them the space and the time and the flexibility, whether it's two or four years, uh, to really imbibe that learning that they need to be successful, that might be a better outfit for them. And the reason I'm thinking about this is, you know, the current formal education sort of uh, landscape, it doesn't cater to flexibility, to testing out new ideas. And these are things which are important for entrepreneurs. I mean, to be quite frank with you, you don't learn about entrepreneurship in school, right? You don't learn about finances. You don't really learn about money. You don't learn about chasing your passion. None of that stuff, right? They teach you about photosynthesis, which has been very helpful uh, so far. But you know what I mean? The, the, that formal education route, which is programmed as uh, the route to success and things like that, or eventually after you graduate with your master's and you do an MBA, and maybe that's when you learn entrepreneurship, that seems to not necessarily be working, right? You kind of have to think differently and think outside of the mold in order to you know, receive that learning and to be a bit of a rebel, you know, as a kid to actually be an entrepreneur because it's not the norm. Your school doesn't encourage it. Your environment not, might not encourage it. Everything around you might not necessarily encourage it. So there's a bit of rebelliousness to it. In terms of formal versus informal education, how do you think we can create more informal or less structured avenues for people to explore entrepreneurship? Because you know, if a 13 year old says I'm dropping out of school or a 15 year or whatever it is, a young person says I'm dropping out of school to go through this unknown, risky, um, flexible type of environment, which might be successful and might not be, they'll be frowned upon, right? It'll be like, oh, you're, you're going down the wrong path or don't do that. How do you think we can change that narrative, um, to ensure that we're allowing flexibility within the formal education systems or even creating another system to give people the, the avenues they need to be successful as they're going through this entrepreneurial journey. So as you said, it's that exploration and that exploration through experience. And I think that, uh, you know, looking at the experience of my daughter, when she was, you know, four or five years old, uh, when I had a home office, I would uh, be working away. She'd be, you know, in the corner playing when the phone would ring, she'd know to be quiet. We had this little thing going on. And then uh, a couple of years later, we had a garden party, had family and friends over and she came out to the, to the garden door and she was with her cousins, uh, who were all, you know, a few years older than her. And she said, right, everybody, uh, we've made things for you to buy. And if you don't have money, we've made you credit cards too. And everybody looked at me like, what are you teaching this poor child, right? And I said, actually, I've not been teaching her anything. She's been 
absorbing seemingly via osmosis all of the conversations that I've been having and she's been putting two and two together, right? And even, you know, this idea of when she said, oh, we'll make credit cards for you. If you think about it, 10 years later, there are startups who are, who are creating banks left, right and center. So I say that to say that we ridicule the ideas of children thinking, well, how can you make a credit card, right? It's ridiculous. You've got to be a bank that's over a hundred years old. Well, actually, no, you don't. So in our experience, when we are kind of teaching kids, we put them in an environment where they can experience things, but we don't tell them or dictate what that experience should lead them to. We say, what do you think? How do you think this, you know, what do you think is possible? What would you like to do? We had a, uh, we had an event that we were invited to myself and some of our young entrepreneurs to level in, at level 39. Uh, about a year and a half ago. And one of the parents was bringing uh, their, at the time, 14 year old, they were you know, traveling to Canary Wharf. And the mother said to him, oh, you know, one day looking at all these big buildings, one day if you work really hard, uh, you could work in a place like this. And he said to his mum, no, one day I'll own a building like this, right? And, you know, she was as shocked as she was proud. But the fact is, People own these buildings. They're not owned by some ethereal, you know, <laughs> council of gods. They're yeah. owned by actual people, right? Lots of them, but the people operate these things, right? So it's not as if it's not, it's not as if it's not re, uh, a reality. It's just that we don't connect it to the reality of the kids that we see in front of us. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen. You know, that's an excellent point. One thing that stands out to me based on what you said was that creativity of youth, right? I think it was Robert Hershevik that said, if, you know, first time entrepreneurs knew what they were getting into, they wouldn't do it because of how <laughs> hard it is. Right. But there's a bit of naivety. There's a bit of creativity that needs to be harnessed for people to be successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, youth have that in spades. They might not necessarily have the toolkit or the experience and all those other things, but there's an element of creativity that comes to the ideation process of creating a successful venture, or just being successful in what you want to do. There's an element of naivety right you have to believe that this is going to work out and naivety is often you know concocted with 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 youth right um let's talk a little bit about that naivety right let's talk a little bit about that creativity or the characteristics of youth that will make uh, young people successful as entrepreneurs and then on the flip side let's also talk about the characteristics of youth that perhaps are not so good for uh, entrepreneurship or being successful. So for instance, you know, the discipline, you know, discipline is something that if you see a 10 year old kid that has discipline, that's kind of a standout kind of kid, you know, it, it, not most kids are disciplined at 10 years old to wake up at a certain time, eat a certain meal. And that's an element of uh, success that you need or an element of your toolkit that you need in order to be a successful entrepreneur. So let's talk about a little bit about those two parts of it. What about the youth helps them to be successful entrepreneurs? And what characteristics of, of the youth do you see that are, you know, really hard or they need to overcome in order to be successful entrepreneurs? So it's interesting you say the word discipline and, mm. and, and I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, there's another way of looking at it because there's, there's discipline and then there's work ethic. So, you know, I, I remember that I was, at, I was at a primary school and uh, in, as part of the assembly, the kids would come in one row at a time. They'd sit down very neatly. They would respond on command. And if you looked at it as an outsider looking in, you'd think, what the hell is going on? These <laughs> kids look like robots. Mm. They're four or five years old. This cannot be the way. But this is how kids are organized in school today, right? So 
Somebody would argue that those kids are disciplined because they can follow orders, right? They conform, uh, they're not disruptive. But then as entrepreneurs, we know that actually you're not supposed to conform. You are supposed to be a little bit disruptive. And, you know, traditional thinking doesn't create innovation or change. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's not discipline that is imposed. It's discipline that you impose on yourself because if you are if you are uh if you only are disciplined because a boss or a school or a framework has told you to be that way you're less likely to innovate so in fact when i see kids in classes being disruptive in my mind, I think, right, you're being disruptive because you're you're probably bored. This is the thing. People think kids are disruptive because they're just naughty. No, it, a lot of it is because they already know what the subject is. Now they're bored. You can't engage them. So they're going to engage themselves, right? Yeah. Now, that's not always a great thing because they disrupt the rest of the class, blah, blah, blah. But then that's not the kid's fault. That's because class sizes are too big. That's because the teacher doesn't have a mechanism to be able to teach kids at different rates. Because if you think about it, you've got a class of 25, 30, they're all going to be learning at different rates. So clearly that's not going to work very well, right? Uh, but I think that um, the way in which uh, some of the things that kids, in terms of creativity, when we think about this word, entrepreneurs are creators, it's actually what they do. They have an idea and what makes a great entrepreneur is the ability to take an idea from your head, right? Just from these thoughts bubbling around and you can turn it into something. You, you are creating, that's what you're doing. Now, creating isn't necessarily, well, the, uh, the optimal end of, of creation isn't just copying, right? That's not what people, you know, like, I guess I always say the difference between a businessman and, on, and an entrepreneur is that a businessman will say, okay, there's a glass here. Let me just buy glasses at a low price and sell them for a high, for a high price. That's what a businessman will do, right? Whereas an entrepreneur will say, well, there's a glass. It's, its function is to hold water, but the glass probably costs more than the water. So is there another mechanism to hold the water, right? And there are entrepreneurs who've come up, I'm not sure if you've seen them, who've come up with these kind of... Um, uh, these kind of water bu bu bubbles, which are edible, which really? now you don't need pl plastic or glass. Yeah. I've never seen that. And that's entrepreneurship. Yeah, it, it, was, it was trial somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I think it was for, for a race or something, but it was just this this bowl full of like just just globules, right? <laughs> but it was water, right? And, and it was held together by some kind of chemical skin, but you didn't need plastic or glass. That's entrepreneurial, right? Now, uh, kids have creativity as you say, in spades. And uh, so Ken Robinson, one of the most famous TED Talks he gave, which was, do schools kill creativity? Through this conformist mechanism, they kind of, you know, kill that creativity. And it's only when, you know, you kind of get to the point of entrepreneurship, you either have an aha moment or you have a problem that really, you know, um, grates you and you come up with a solution. So I think that what we need to do is to try and keep that creative thread going for as long as possible in kids so that they can realise uh what they are, what they're really good at, what they want to do, and in a different way, in a new way, something that they think should be, not something that we've given them. Because if they're if they're going into pre-made structures, then that uh, that mechanism will continue, right? And these most mechanisms we have today need some kind of optimizing, right? So actually, we should they, we should be go they should they should be going into those they should be creating their own structures, which is what is happening with 
most startups, they're, they're creating their own frameworks. They're looking at the framework of banking, of education, of, you know, uh, technology and thinking, well, these, these structures don't work very well. Let me create my own structure, right? And it comes from, you know, that dream and that naivety, as you say, because, you know, I was just watching a video the other day, which was talking about the availability of entrepreneurship, i.e., 20 years ago, if you wanted to set it, if you wanted to create a tech company, you had to physically go out and buy servers, put them in a cool server room, install lots of expensive software, maintain it. Now you just access AWS or Azure. And all of that is now sold as a service. But somebody had to think about that. Someone had to come up with that idea, which was the complete, the complete opposite of having uh that's that having your own, having it physically there, right? So I think that if we can unlock that, imagine we could do that you know, 10, 20, 50, 100x, then for me, it's about solving problems, not problems, uh, not problems of how can I get a better cab, but problems of how can we, you know, prevent the, the wealth from imploding? How can we um, unlock the, the, the potential of children? How can we prolong life? How can we, you know, do all of the things that actually really matter? And I think that what's exciting for me, what's, you know, in terms of entrepreneurship and the potential for young people is that there's a big world to change and, in, and things need to be done very differently. And I think that can only be done by them being a bit naive about what's possible. Because if a young person said, oh, well, I think we should just get rid of all plastics in the world tomorrow. Someone said, oh, well, let's stop being naive. You can't do that, right? Now, that kid might think, well, why not? Why can't I do that, right? And there was probably a way, it's like, you know, a kid saying, well, I want to create my own bank. Well, you can't do that. You've got to be an institution. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. But actually it's not true because as I was saying earlier, banks are being created. So I think that naivety is uh, almost the, uh, the the heart of creativity and innovation. And it will, it's something that we need to ensure that we foster in the next generation. Yeah, no, those are, I mean, excellent points. Uh, one thing that stands out to me as well is, this, there's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. You know, everyone thinks that, oh, back in the day, it was much better, it was easier, whatever it is. This is the best time to ever be an entrepreneur. I could use the cliches of, you know, the internet is widely available, but even in the toolkits that you need to get something started and off the ground. I mean, in the UK alone, 600,000 businesses or so are started a year. And it's it's only being being made easier as time goes on because now you don't have to buy servers. Now you can outsource or get someone on Fiverr to create your website and all those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, giving kids the 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 confidence, the ability, the platforms, the tools that they need in order to be successful entrepreneurs, those barriers, I'm really proud of our generation and hopefully where things go from now on um, in terms of making things easier for people to be entrepreneurs. Because, you know, a lot of the times when you see those hurdles and they look so insurmountable, right? It's like, man, that's, that's such a, uh, you know, to start a bank, it's almost unfathomable, right? You have to be creative, as you mentioned, naive and all those sorts of things. But when you actually see the toolkits that are available to you, you know, when you actually go on the FCA website and see that they have a sandbox environment where you can test out your app or something like that, then it gives you a little bit of confidence. You know, you can create a quick MVP or a quick mock-up or something like that, that gives you the confidence and those incremental steps along the way that ultimately will lead to a new bank or a new initiative or whatever it is, you know, that's out there. So um, I think that's a good note for us to probably uh, end the interview, but thanks so much for your time. I'm sure we'll definitely be hearing more about you um, and the BBC and in what you're doing at Ultra as well. Um, but if you don't mind just giving us a little bit about what your company does. Sure. So I, uh, four years ago now, started a social enterprise called Ultra Education. And our mission is to ensure that 
all children have access to quality, effective entrepreneurial education through schools, clubs online through we're developing the world's first AI powered chatbot that can teach kids entrepreneurship so we can scale to millions of kids. And so that's our passion. That's the thing that we love doing because we think that entrepreneurship is a great vehicle for uh, personal development, for professional development. And in terms of solving all the problems that we have in and around the world and for people to, to just become, you know, the best versions of themselves, we think entrepreneurship is a great way of doing that. Fantastic. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much for having me, Saka. Cheers. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Saka's Is That So? Today we discussed about whether entrepreneurship is genetic or based on your environment, giving kids the benefit of the doubt since they can learn instruments and do amazing things, perhaps entrepreneurship is not that far-fetched for them. We also thought about and discussed how we can actually teach kids to take risks and hopefully think of entrepreneurship as a future endeavor that they can go into. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or any platform that you have social media on. But also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other medium that you listen on. See you next week.